Welcome to the Busy Business Women podcast, where you have VIP access to discover the wins and wisdom that have helped successful business brains build businesses that boom. With your host, Faye Hollands from busybusinesswomen.biz. Hi, I'm Faye Hollands and welcome to episode 31 of the Busy Businesswomen podcast. And today I'm just a little bit giddy because I have one of my girl crushes on the show and that is the very fabulous Denise Duffield-Thomas or Denise DT as she's known. So let me do the formal intro first and tell you a bit about Denise in case you've been living under a rock somewhere and haven't come across this fabulous lady before. Denise is a money mindset coach, best-selling author, and Australian entrepreneur who teaches entrepreneurs how to make money and create outrageous success. Denise's books, courses, and live events have helped over 100,000 women worldwide release their money blocks and transform their money mindset. Now, you know that icky feeling in your belly when someone asks you to work for free or when you procrastinate sending out an invoice to a potential client or the fact that your income is stagnated or she's the woman that helps you get over those money blocks and she's likened herself to colonic irrigation technician for your finances or a gateway drug to a lifelong love affair with money. She's also the author of the recently released Chillpreneur as well as Get Rich Lucky Bitch and Lucky Bitch. And very excitingly, Denise is about to embark on an Australian book tour in April and May of 2019 to celebrate the launch of Chillpreneur, which I'm going to be going to in Wollongong next week and I'm super excited about. Chillpreneur is for women feeling burned out by their business and sick of the hustle and grind culture of their industry, which for those of you who have been following Busy Business Women for a while know that I'm very anti-hustle, so this definitely sparks joy for me. Chillpreneur outlines a better way of balancing life and business by getting over your perfectionism and embracing the flow of the chillpreneur. So without further ado, let's get talking to the very chilled but ever so successful Denise Duffield-Thomas. Welcome, Denise. I'm so thrilled to have you here today. I have got a little bit of a girl crush on you. Um, for those of you that are watching the recording, here I have with my loot, my get rich lucky bitch, my sacred money archetypes, even my, what does it say, own your dreams folder full of all my stuff that I've done of yours. It is an honor and a privilege to have you here on the Busy Business Women podcast. Welcome. Oh my gosh, Faye, thank you so much for having me. (laughs) You are very, very welcome. So listen, I've got a bundle of questions to ask you. There is nowhere near enough time to get through them all today. So I'm just going to get cracking if that's okay. I love how you talk about the fact that you're the golden goose in your business and you need to be looked after because if the golden goose isn't looked after, there essentially is going to be no business to run, right? Now, I think looking after the golden goose is an easier concept for people to get their head around and execute when their business is doing really well. But for those people that are working really hard right now, maybe at the start of their entrepreneurial journey and, you know, they're not, they're not, haven't got the money that they want or need right now. They may be struggling to get clients that they need. What do you suggest they do to really look after themselves and look after the golden goose when they might be mentally struggling with taking time off or slowing down? Absolutely. So there is just an inevitable part of being in business at the start where you don't know what you're doing. You're throwing things at the wall to see what sticks. Mm. That's just normal. That's a normal part of being in business. Um, Unfortunately, a lot of people don't get out of that phase and and actually start to make money or to gain traction because they just get really stuck in it. So what you have to do almost is trick yourself. 
um, at the start, you do not have to do everything. You do not have to do all of your ideas at once. So I actually like to create three lists whenever I'm in a tears and feeling like I have so much to do. I do a now, next, later list because sometimes the overwhelm comes when we're trying to do you know, like you're like, oh, I need to create a course and I need to write a book and I need to do some one-to-one sessions and I need to do this and I need to do that. And some of those things do not need to be done now. Mm. So, you know, what needs to happen now to get that money coming in? What then happens next? That could be a next project that you want to do. And then the later list is like parking it for the future. Oh, I want to write a book one day. Great. I'm going to park that on my later list because um, not everything is urgent, not everything is important, and not everything is going to be profitable. So you have to have some discernment. When you're a little bit further on in business, you can outsource things. You can have a delegation list. But at the start, you've just got to be really honest about what you can and can't do right now and what is going to make you money. Music to my ears because I talk to my clients about mission critical tasks, a a coined phrase by Tim Ferriss, and really stopping grabbing at those shiny, sparkly things that, you know, it can be so exciting to come up with all these new ideas and just keep jumping from one to the other, but you're not embedding down and getting the stuff that makes you money done and not focus on the things that will move your business forward. And then we go into that space of possibly feeling burnt out and frazzled, right? So that's awesome advice. Thank you very much. Okay, so you mentioned outsourcing them, which is a lovely segue into uh, one of my next questions. You wrote a brilliant blog post for Medium last year that went viral. And listeners, the link will be in the show notes, which is busybusinesswomen.biz forward slash podcast 31. And this brilliant blog, why do I keep saying blog post? Blog post. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant blog post was all about how lots of people ask you how you balance it all. You know, it's that old age question for successful women. And you said the honest answer was, with so much paid help, which I think to so many of us was just such a breath of fresh air you know, for every woman in business out there. Now, there are so many golden nuggets in that article. We could literally do this whole podcast on outsourcing. So today what I want to do is drill into what you said about outsourcing before you can afford it, because mm. you talk about how you got help before you felt you could afford those services. Now, I'm regularly recommending to my clients that they outsource so that they can spend more time in their genius zone that makes them more money in their business. But I know what's going on in their head when I'm saying that quite often is, yeah, Faye, but I can't afford that yet. So whether it's in your home or in your business, I think this is a roadblock that a lot of women come up against. What did you do to get over that mindset and push past not being able to afford to outsource those services when you first started doing it? All right. Loving Smackdown for everybody. (laughs) Um, Because people say this to me, they go, oh, I would love to, you know, have my business, but I need childcare and I need this. And my husband says, and my partner says, I can't have those things until my business is making money, which is just such a sabotage because there is, you can't win there. Your only option is to get up at 4.30 in the morning, which I I get up at 4.30 often with my baby anyway, or stay awake really late at night to make those things happen. So even 10 years ago, 20 years ago, to start a business, you would have had to have a lot of investment. And somehow now we're expected to start a successful business with zero investment, including time. What are we trying to do? How can we start a business with no investment in it at all? Now, the great thing is you can start a business with with low-cost tools, right? You know, there's Skype and there's Zoom and Facebook and all these tools, PayPal, you know, that didn't really exist 
um, when I started my business, certainly. But now what's important for women is childcare, getting help around the house, uh, you know, maybe that's meal prep or laundry. That's the investment in our business, not a fancy website, not a garage full of stock that we have to then sell. That's the investment we need in our business. So that's the smackdown, first of all, is to sometimes you have to say, oh my God, I need to create the space for my business and give my business oxygen and water and love and sunlight for it to grow. If you're expecting your business to grow and it's like no, no, no time, no love, no investment, nothing, no space, no creativity, you're just like, grow, grow, grow. Um, <laughs> so, so true. So sometimes you have to almost have a loving smack down to your partner and say, mm. you're putting pressure on me to make money in my business. When am I going to do that, hun? Like I don't have any time or space to do it. So together as a family, we have to invest in my business. And that's not coming out of my salary. That's coming out of our money together. So that's the first loving smackdown. Mm. The second one is sometimes there's a reality that there is just not enough investment there. So in that case, sometimes for a short while, you do have to get up at 4.30 in the morning and stay awake at night short time only though. And that means you have to be so focused on income producing activities. So, so that's temporary. Okay. Until you can afford to get that help. Um, the last thing I want to say is for women, definitely that help at home. Again, I want to reemphasize that how much more important that is than, than outsourcing in your business, because I mean, you can do most things in your business yourself. And sometimes at the start of your business, that's actually your apprenticeship. It's a great chance to see how everything in your business works. However, if you are drained because you've got mounds of laundry and you're prioritizing that over writing your book or creating your program, that is probably never going to happen for you. So you have to get really honest about that. The Mm -hmm. last thing I want to say on this is that, um, it's really easy to get bogged down in the day today. Oh, I've got laundry. I've got this. No one cares about my business. I'm tired. It's too much to do. So you have to have one eye on all that stuff because, yes, there's things that have to be done today and you have to keep one eye on the future. This is what I'm doing it for. I'm Mm -hmm. doing it so we can have freedom and abundance for our family so, you know, I can retire my partner so we don't have to work all the time so we can have a bigger house so we can go on nicer holidays so I can afford for my kids to do extracurricular activities so I can feel like a success so I can have all those things. It's like you've got to hold the flame of those things and that will get you through doing the work or getting the courage to, to do the things that you need to do. I think every woman has just fallen in love with you if they hadn't already. <laughs> you just gave us permission to do the things that we'd love to do. It was interesting because yesterday my, my husband had a day off, but I was busy, you know, I wanted to work and that was my choice. But it was like having a wife in the house yesterday because he picked the kids up, he dropped them off, he sorted out everything, he walked the dog. And at the end of the day I said to him, do you know what, thank you so much. I had the best day. It was the most productive day I'd had, the calmest day I'd had in ages. And it's not that I would swap out not doing all of those things you know, I love being able to have a business where I can drop my kids off and pick them up but far out I got a taste of the other side yesterday and it tasted good <laughs> it's pretty amazing actually yeah. my housekeeper's downstairs at the moment and she's cooking dinner and you've got that aroma wafting up that you definitely. have to create and I said to her as well I was like oh can you unpack my suitcase because I was I was speaking at an event on the weekend and can you go pick up my mail? And you know, all those things that she is like my wife. She is like my mom almost as well. Yeah. 
And unfortunately, a lot of that work is invisible and it's unpaid for women. Mm. And you know what? I'm, I'm paying mine. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So it, it, that is a job. You can create jobs for other women. And then this is the coolest thing. It can help you create even more abundance. So you can create even more jobs for other women. Exactly. It's this beautiful domino effect. I just want to tap into something else that you said there about revenue generating activities. Um, I ran a productivity challenge for a bunch of clients last week. And one of the things that just randomly came up in one of the lives that we ran was that I said, you know, you shouldn't be hanging out your washing during your work time. And so now there's this kind of movement of women. One of my clients posted up this morning in our Facebook group, a picture of her hanging her washing out at kind of five in the morning in the pitch black, which kind of sparked joy for me because I'm like, yes, you're not doing that stuff in your work time. And then I thought, is everyone going to think Faye's a bitch because now everybody's doing crazy stuff at crazy times. But my point is that Going back to when you said in the early days of your business where maybe you can't afford to outsource, you've got to do some of the longer hours to get to that point where you can afford it. And doing stuff like hanging out the washing or stuff that doesn't make you money should not be done in your kind of core working hours. That's my ethos. Do you agree? I totally agree. And when I started my business too, I found that a lot of people in my family tried to put jobs on me because I was at home. So my husband would text me and go, can you take my dry cleaning um, and I was like, no, go on your lunch break. Like everyone else does, you know, or it'd be like, Oh, can you go pick this up? Can you go to the post office for me? I'm like, go on your lunch break. I'm at work. Um, or, you know, my family members would want to drop in. Oh, I'm dropping in. And I'd be like, I'm, I'm in a meeting. I'm working. I had to just train them by saying that all the time. I'm at work. I'm at work. I'm at work. Um, and it took a while for them to respect those boundaries and respect the fact that I was working as well. Yeah, exactly. And that came up a lot last week. It was like, how do you manage the expectations of family and friends who think because you work from home or you work for yourself, you can just jump to their beck and call. And it is managing expectations and often re-educating those people and being strong and saying no. So thank you for that. Okay. Now we've mentioned Mark. We've mentioned Mark, your husband. Yes. In Chillpreneur, your fabulous new book, um, you talk about the fact that you're someone that goes on holiday, still thinks about work, you know, you get blog ideas during a, um, a massage, you love digging into getting into work on Monday mornings. I'm exactly the same. I often feel like I can't switch off and I'm really happy with that. Like I don't have an issue with that. So I love that you talk about accepting that we're lifelong learners and consummate entrepreneurs, but where do you think women in business kind of overstep that mark and that passion for business becomes a bit of a problem? And maybe, you know, they're hustling too hard, they're burning out, they're losing track of what they've gone into business for, which is often flexibility and, free, uh, flexibility and freedom. Do you think there comes a, a place where that becomes a problem? Yes, it does. And for a lot of people who run at that pace for a long time, it can be unsustainable. Mm. So I, I love the fact that I think about my business a lot, but I actually don't have to work in my business 24 seven. Yeah. Um, and so that's the creativity for me. That's exciting for me. It's not exciting for me to have to do things. That's the difference. Um, for example, I don't do customer service in my business because yeah. that would really stress me out. But I love thinking about my customers. I think about my money boot campers all the time. Um, but I, I do it on my terms. So I think that's the, and oh, isn't that funny? That's actually the subtitle of the book, On oh, Your Terms. Yes. New rules for creating success, freedom, abundance on your terms. And everyone's got different terms. And I think that's what I talk about a lot in the book too, is you have to honor who you are and your terms of business are personal to you. 
Um, at the start, you don't know what those are because sometimes you don't, you've never had to set boundaries with people. You don't like having awkward money conversations. Yeah. You feel like a bitch. As you said, you feel like a bitch for just saying things how they are. That takes some learning and some unlearning. Um, Mm. You have to really just honor who you are. And so I just feel so much happier now that my business more and more is on my terms. And I I think I've still got a long way to go. There's so many little tweaks that I would still like to make about creating that on my terms. It might look completely different to yours, Faye. But but I love that. You know, we were talking about that just before we came on the live is that um, you know, it can be easy to kind of mould your business into something you think it should be. It's that should of, could of, would of, instead of going, okay, what do, you, what do I want it to look like and really following that? So that's awesome. Thank you. Okay. Now I am a self-proclaimed productivity ninja or nerd. You can take your pick at which, uh, but I love all things productivity. So I'm really keen to hear from you. Now, obviously you outsource, but in terms of high performance habits, that keep your productivity high. I reckon you're probably nailing this. So what do you do, or maybe not at that reaction? <laughs> you might be surprised actually. Like, and I think this is part of really leaning into who I am. I'm not a, I'm not a type A person um, in lots of ways. And I've got really young kids. Yeah. So in my ideal kind of life, I'd love to get up and do yoga every morning or go for a walk or, you know, have jump on my trampoline and, mm-hmm. and do all the things. And I actually have a list of high performance habits in my phone that has reminders and I hardly do any of them. Um, and I'm just, and it, honestly, it pops up in the morning, have your apple cider vinegar and it, it goes all through the day, do some rebounding. And then at the end of the day, take your makeup off, take your vitamins, all those things. And, and I, you just have these pinging up all day and you're like, oh yeah. Whatever. And I ignore them. Yeah. But, but sometimes they work. So last night I was like, oh, I will take my makeup off, even though I don't always do that. So I think there's something there too about feeling like um, to be successful in business, you do have to be a type A kind of go-getter. And Mm. I would say I am a go-getter in lots of ways, but I'm also very lazy. I'm a very lazy person. I'm mentally very active. I'd say physically very like laid back, sloth-like one would even say. Um, I never My daughter to... Chloe loves sloths. So oh, I'm very happy to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. So on the weekend, Mark's like, what are we going to do today? And I'm like, I want to do nothing. That's what I want to do. I want to sit here and do nothing and not talk to anybody. Um, but so he's definitely more the gung-ho one. He works out all the time. You know, he does all those things. And I'm, I'm not that person and that's okay too. Um, I would say even my, my working life, um, isn't even that structured anymore. I used to do to-do lists a lot. So I do have, um, like the Kiki K, um, you know, I have that on my desk, but actually that's what it looks like. (laughs) That's what I do instead. (laughs) I do like this stuff. I really love this though, because you I was talking last week about, you know, I can share with my clients all these different things that I do. Like I just got this. Yes, I'm very excited. Brendan Bouchard's High Performance Planner. I'm like so excited. It gave me the post and I filled it in last night. But I, that's just my personality. I love that stuff. I love stationery. I fill it in. I get very excited about it. But that doesn't mean that's going to work for maybe possibly any of my other clients. I'm sure it would. But the point being is you've got to find the things that work for you and keep trialing and erroring that until it, you know, you find your flow and there's no right or wrong way. But are there any things that you do to, I know you said you're not that structured, but um, things that you like to do that you feel allow you to have that sense of satisfaction by the end of your working day? Yes. Yeah, so for work, I actually have like a pretty simple thing that I have to do. So um, every day I post on social media mm-hmm. every single day. And 
you know, sometimes I think, oh, I want to post five times a day, but I'm like, you know what, just post your one a day because I don't want to get, you know, like feast or famine around it. I want to be very consistent. So as long as I've done that every day and it could be a sharing post or a teaching post or or a sales post telling people about what's coming up, as long as I post every day on social media. And then I email everybody a newsletter once a week. And that just happens once a week. Once a month-ish, I do some sort of training. So it might be a webinar related to a launch or it might be a Facebook Live or it just might be something a little bit more in-depth. And then we've also got our launch cycle preset now. So I don't have to think about, oh, when are we launching? We've got a term one, term two. We know exactly what's happening. So for me, that that just makes everything else flow. The other thing that I do in my business is um, I'm constantly pitching myself or my team is to go on podcasts or saying yes to go on podcasts like this. So I might do five on average a week podcast interviews and that's just part of my flow. Everything else though can be outsourced. I don't need, I I need to show up here because it would be weird if like Mark showed up for me. (laughs) I'm expecting you and getting excited about you. So exactly. Or if I sent my assistant, that cannot happen. Yeah. For most other things, except for you know those things I had mentioned, you know I post on social media myself. Um, The newsletter, though, I write it, but most of the time my my team does the tech. Um, You know, so there's only certain things that only I can do, but most of the other stuff can be done by other people in my team because they know what to do now. Yeah, and you've worked to get to that point. So for people listening that are in the early stages, you know, it's not like you've just started your business. It's taken you a time and a process to get to this point, right? And can I just say your team do that beautifully? The email about coming onto the podcast and everything is so beautifully streamlined and organised and easy. It's just great. I aspire to get to that point. So on that note, let's talk about perfectionism, right? Because I rant on about progress over perfection to my clients all of the time. They're probably sick to death of it. And it it was because it was a real Achilles heel for me when I first became my own boss. I really prided myself on being a perfectionist. And in my corporate days, I used to work in investment banking, professional services. And I, I used to, you know, you get asked that old age question of, What's, what are your strengths? And I'd say, well, I'm a perfectionist and I can multitask. I'm like, oh my God, did I really used to say that? Uh, but you know, that was a real, I thought was a real strength of mine back in the day. I've seen how it's really held my business back over the years. And you talk about how your husband, Mark, was actually the perfectionist that cost your business money when he first came into the business. What's your advice to business owners who are struggling with trying to dot the I's and cross the T's too much? And how do you think you recognise that when you're falling foul of perfectionism and really holding yourself back? So there's perfectionism and there's procrastination. Um, I think those can be two different things. The other thing about Mark is that he's not so much a perfectionist as in he, like he'll he'll send me things with spelling mistakes in it, you know, and that really bothers me. That's what I'm perfectionist about. So I've had to put rules in place with him. Nothing comes to me unless it's been through Grammarly because he would send me stuff and I'd be like, that's a, that's a draft, you know, that's a draft. (laughs) But his perfectionism comes out in overworking. He overcomplicates everything. Whereas I always try and find the shortcut. Other people's um, perfectionism comes out in, procrastination or trying to solve all of the problems of all of the people all at once because otherwise you feel like it doesn't count. Um, so I think everyone's comes up in, in different ways. I, I don't think I'm a perfectionist anymore. I really thought I was um, when I was 
I, I guess when I was growing up and I'm a Virgo, so I, I like things a particular way. <laughs> yeah. I think so many of us are, yeah. um, who are perfectionists. So I'm actually, I'm definitely like done is, is good enough. And, and my done is, is pretty good. And my done is useful for people. That's where I, I've said to myself a few times, oh, I really need this perfect. But I'm like, but people actually really like it. You know, and I've, I've wanted to, to um, delete things off my website and things like that. And people are like, no, we love that version. And I'm like, but guys, it's not perfect. And, but that's what they want. So if I wait until everything's perfect, lots of people won't get to experience that. And so I think I'm, I'm all about being useful these days than perfect. I, and I completely agree with you and going through kind of money archetypes and reading your books and podcasts and so on. It's really, you know, it, it was something I was working on already, but it's really helped me to ramp that up and just realize that often the 70 or the 80% is what my clients are loving and they're getting value from it immediately rather than it possibly never going out there because it wasn't perfect. And, and, it's, it's, and who's got something perfect anyway? Yeah. You know, it's it's not the case. Like even with this new new book, right? So this has been through, you don't even know how many people proofread a book by the time it goes to, to publication. And every time they do, they pick up, you know, a couple more mistakes. I was reading the audio version. I still found like three mistakes in it. That's been through yeah. five people. Um, and I just think you can... I don't think anything's ever 100% perfect. Mm. Things like websites, for example, cannot ever be finished. As soon as you put it out, it's or you know, your, your plugins probably need to be updated or yeah. something needs to change. So some things are always work works in progress, in, including businesses. Completely agree. <laughs> 12 years down the road, I'm still work in progress. <laughs> All right. So we couldn't have you on here and not talk about money, of course. So let's talk pricing. A lot of women in business, I think, struggle, or from my experience of coaching women for kind of 12 years, um, struggle to charge what they're worth. And I've heard you say that, which I completely agree with, that underpricing often means that we get less clients because we appear cheap and people question whether we're actually good enough to deliver the offer that we're putting out there because the price is so low. How do you balance that with making sure that you're not outpricing yourself in the market? Yeah, it's, there's no science behind it. Right. And I think some people ask the question thinking that there's going to be some perfect formula and out will spit the, the right answer. So the truth is that, that most industries and, and most things have a varied amount that people charge for them. Sometimes it's actually a target market thing. It could be almost the exact same product, but, um, say for example, celebrities in the money archetypes. Yep they don't like buying anything cheap because it says something about themselves. So actually sometimes they, it's part of their identity to buy something that's expensive. So, and I've got a friend like this, right? Because she's a celebrity and she'll say, Oh, I love your top. And I'll say, thanks. It's from target. And she'll go, (laughs) you'll be like, I don't like it. Nothing has changed. If you'd have said it was Gucci, she'd have got excited at that point. She totally would have. And there was that experiment, right, about Payless shoes. They created an upmarket version and put $600 price tags on it and people were loving it. So, And I say that because not to say, oh, put $600 on a pair of Payless shoes. It's just that there's less 
formula to it than people think. And a lot of that is about perception of what your, what your marketing is and what your branding is. I would say that most people are on the side um, of undercharging. They're undercharging rather than over-delivering, but they're, sorry, overcharging, but they think that they're overcharging or they worry about that even though they're not even close <laughs> to overcharging. So what do we do then? What's the answer? And I would say that the answer is to really sit with a price and it's so unscientific, but it actually works. You sit with a price and you go, okay, so I want to charge $100 for this. How does that feel? And then go up by like $10 or $20 increments. What about $110? What about $120? What about $130? And you get to a point where you feel, you go, oh, no, that actually doesn't feel good. That feels out of integrity. What you want to get to is a a price point that feels exciting, a little tingly. It's not super comfort zone, but it's not like you want to vomit. You want to just throw up in your mouth a teeny bit, but like <laughs> not go for the full one. So, um, yeah. And, and, and that's what everyone is doing. Don't think that people yeah. are, you know, coming up with this amazing price. And that's why it's really difficult to look around and average out what your industry is charging because you don't know why they're charging that. They could be charging that because they have really bad self-talk. They might be charging that because their dad said to them one day when they were seven years old, well, you know, you'll never make any money. You have no idea why they're charging that. It could be totally all their money blocks. So you can't average out everyone's money blocks because you've got your own. You have to just judge what you feel is good, a win-win. That's such an awesome way of looking at it. I've never thought about it that way because I think often, you know, clients will say to me, I'm not sure if I'm charging the right amount and, you know, I'm not working in the money mindset space at all. I have my own challenges. Um, but, you know, they'll, the, the initial reaction is to jump to look at researching everyone around you and saying, well, they're charging 69 bucks, they're charging 150 or, you know, whatever it is and just kind of take a ballpark figure of that. But what you've just said is they could have so much baggage going on around that price point and also your target market could be quite different. Um, it does really irk me when I see people, particularly on Facebook, throwing themselves out like three coaching sessions for $69. I'm like, oh, what are you doing? But you have just kind of put that all into perspective. The other thing, that exercise you were just talking about there is great because when I was trained to be a coach, we went through something similar and it was working out what your hourly rate was. And the lady that ran the coaching school said, just start going up in increments. So you say, you know, my hourly rate is $100 an hour. My hourly rate is $125 an hour. And at, one po- at some point you're going to stutter and stumble and not be able to say that amount. And that's like you saying, a little bit of vomit comes into your mouth. That's <laughs> your kind of boundary there, which you need to work on. But something just before that that's exciting is where you want to place yourself and work from that. So thank you for the reminder. And here's the other reminder. You can change it at any time. It's not set in stone. And also nobody is going to give you permission to increase your prices. So, you know, it's not like there's a once a year salary review, like there might've been in your corporate life. It's like, oh, you can change it every couple of clients if you want to. Anytime you feel resentful or burnt out, that's such a good sign that it's time to increase your prices. And there's a couple of other signs too. Say, for example, if you're really booked out, um, increase your prices, Mm -hmm. let that demand calibrate. Um, If you know that people are like, oh my God, I only need one session with you because you've changed my life. And it's like, oh, well, I need to judge a broker. If people are only going to come to me for one session and I've cured them, well, that needs to be like, you know, a premium product because I've saved them time. So, yes, there's a a lot. And there's actually a whole pricing chapter in the book because it's just something that trips us up so much. And I get it as well. I I second-guess pricing whenever it's something new. 
you know, like when I've, so now going on the tour, I'm like, oh, am I allowed to charge $49 to people? You know, it's every time you go, go into a new area or introduce a new business or anything like that, you will, you will second guess your prices. It's just what we do as women. We second guess our worth. It's good to hear that you still do that as well, though, because, frankly, I would have paid double to come and see you in Shell Harbour. Honestly, would not even bat an eyelid at that. But it's really humbling to hear that you still go through that process. It's just, you know, with different things at different points in your Definitely. journey. Definitely. So. And something else that's new to me at the moment is charging for speaking. You know, I've, I've, I'm an introvert. I don't travel very much. Um, I probably only do, like, one speaking, paid speaking gig, like, every three years. I'm just, it's just not my thing. And this year I'm doing a, a lot more speaking gigs. And I'm like, how am I? to charge for this so it's the same I'm and I have to go back and do the tools that I teach and be strong in it because I'm okay charging two thousand dollars for my online program that feels fine for me yeah but then I was like oh 49 dollars is this okay so we all go through it good all, all the time. everyone's just gonna oh thank goodness it's not just me <laughs> no it's not all right now we, we touched on this briefly before but um you know I'm going to be speaking uh, not speaking I'm going to well I am but I'm going to be seeing you on your book tour next week which I'm super excited about um and I love the fact that you've create, curated your book tour in a way that completely suits you right so you've you're running the sessions during the day instead of the night you're not doing them on the weekends so you can spend time with your family they're in the chain of cinemas I'm guessing to make the logistics of booking the tour really easy so I love that you've done this and suited yourself but how do you balance suiting yourself and creating a business the way that you want it to be with making sure that you're delivering what your audience want because I struggle with this at times I try to do this but I feel like I'm always finding some level of friction to run an event at maybe a time that I don't want to or in a location that's really inconvenient to me yeah and you know I'm just trying to suit what I think my clients want you're doing the opposite brilliantly how do you how do you get to that point well, first you do it the other way and it's really painful for most mm, of yeah, us, right? Yeah. And I, I did this, um, I did a five-week tour in America and this is classic Mark and Denise. I was just going to go for a mastermind to um, via America and then it was like, well, I have to go via this city. Oh, maybe I should do an event. And then it was like, oh, well, then I have to go via this other city on the way home. Maybe I should do two events. And it ended up being this five-week um, speaking to her instead of just me going to this mastermind by myself. Um, and we had, you know, every single place had a different event manager, uh, sorry, not event manager, event and different layout and setup. And it was really stressing me out to be honest. Mm. So, and it was at night, some of them, and I was just, I was really tired and I get very buzzed from speaking. So I couldn't sleep. And then we had the kids who were waking up in the night and I just thought, this is actually not fun for me. Mm. And it made me think I'm never going to do this again. You know, I'm like, and, and I actually really enjoyed meeting people and I enjoyed the speaking part of it for sure. It was actually really beautiful. But the energetic toll of that tour was actually really intense. Mm. So, and that's where I coined the golden goose thing because I was saying to Mark, I was like, you're killing my golden goose with this. I felt like, you know, I was resentful thinking I didn't even want to do this to her. So every time it got bad or I was tired, I was like, you're killing my golden goose. Yeah. Um, so that being said, you do it the bad way first if you want to or you can realise that it's this or nothing. So literally if this tour didn't work for me, I would not tour Australia. So when people are like, oh, it's a little bit inconvenient, I'm like, that's cool. I'm, I'm sorry that it is, but it's like, 
don't come and see me and not to be a bitch but it's like you to come yeah no if it doesn't work for you don't come the problem is you can tie yourself up in knots and do it in a way that doesn't work for you not everyone's going to like that either and that's when you become resentful because you think well f you I didn't want to do this either so f you whereas it's totally easy for me just to say I'm really sorry it doesn't work for you but that's the only way I could do it and I'm not angry at them I'm not resentful at them I'm just like it was this or nothing so hopefully you'll enjoy it I'm sure we'll enjoy it and I think that's also you were talking about before we started how you just feel really chilled about the you know how it unfolds how the tour unfolds it unfolds there's kind of no pressure or stress around it because you've carved it out the way you want it to be, which is lovely. But, you know, when we talk about money personalities, for Mark, um, you know, he would feel like that's cheating. So I have to be okay with the fact that, you know, well, I'm someone who likes to find their easiest path and I like to role model that. And you know what's so cool? I don't even feel nervous about this tour because the freaking book is called Chillpreneur. (laughs) I could be actually really bad on this tour and people will go, oh, well, if she's successful and she's that bad then then maybe I can do it and so I've just given myself the best out ever um I can I can and also even um I used to really second guess and go oh I can't go on tour until I lose 10 kilograms I need to go on a tour diet and now again I'm like well I don't care if people think that I'm a little bit chubby right now oh my god but that's gonna I'm like but then that's great it's actually better Uh, if I'm if I'm not perfect because it's actually a better message so I've given myself all these outs I feel so great about it how comes that though and I'm fully expecting you to just kind of present from a sun lounger on the by the cinema screen oh my god I I have that that vision in my mind I think that would be wonderful and actually Mark sent me the run sheet of our first events in Newcastle Hmm. um and he sent me a run sheet and he said okay so we need bar stools and like a tall table and I was like Oh no, I don't want to sit on a bar stool. I want a comfy seat. Need a, need a good old Aussie banana sun lounger. Oh, that would be amazing. That's a really <laughs> great idea. But um, but yeah, and so obviously if anyone wants to come and see me on tour, it's at denisedt.com slash tour. And we are going to a lot of places. Well, we, I say we, but it's just me. I'm like, yes, hotel room by myself. Yes. But you are, you're all over the place, which is awesome. You've made it, you know, I can't tell you how stoked I was to see that you were coming down to Wollongong. And that I, as I think I said in one of my Facebook, Instagram posts, you, I don't have to schlop to Sydney, which I would have done, but hey, you've made it so convenient. So I'm there with bells on. And I just want to touch on what you said about Mark there and, and cheating. That's the mindset I have. Like I've, I, you know, I've worked in this space where particularly investment banking, you would just work, you work like a Trojan from really early to really late, seemed to be seen. It was just the complete polar opposite of what I do now, how I want to be. But this is the trap I fall into. And when we're talking about, you know, carving out your business the way you want it to be, that if I'm not doing an event in a place where it feels a bit uncomfortable, not because out of my comfort zone, just because I don't want to, I feel like I'm cheating. So thank you so much for saying that because I've just gone, oh my God, it's just like this whole thing I'm putting on myself to make myself feel bad. I'm going to just follow the Denise DT way and it will all come out good. Exactly, exactly. Okay, now you've had a lot of ideas over the years. You've talked about them in your books and I've read about them in various different places and you've tried your hand at lots of different things and some funny things as well, which have been very entertaining. Now in Chillpreneur, you talk about the importance of knowing when to quit. Is there anything that you've quit in your current business kind of as it is now to the success that you're at 
that you've kind of undenied over? Because I'm interested to know how you made that decision to stop and particularly if something isn't actually doing too badly. So when something's going bad, you know, tits up, then you, it's easy to make that decision. But if something's just plodding along and it's not going great but it's not too bad either, has there been an example of where you quit something like that and how did you make that decision? Yeah, so I, um, I'm a big fan of quitting stuff or, uh, you know, consciously uncoupling as Gwyneth um, talked about. But um, so one-to-one stuff was so easy for me to, to, um, to sell. And, and actually I could have had so many one-to-one clients and it just wasn't my zone of genius, to be honest. And even now people contact me and say, Oh my God, can you be my coach? I'll pay anything. And I go, honey, I'm not good at it. (laughs) So why would you want me to do that? Like I could, I could take your money. I would spend it guilt-free. I really would. I would, I would lovingly receive your money, but I'm just not that great at that. So quitting that for me, um, it was a little bit of a hard decision at first because I didn't have necessarily all my group um, coaching stuff in place. Mm-hmm. But I just knew it just wasn't my zone of genius anymore. Um, and I, I, I've actually quit things that have never gone to market even after I've spent money on them. Mm-hmm. An example of that is, you know, I wrote my book Lucky Bitch and then Get Rich Lucky Bitch and then I wrote a book called Get Hitched Lucky Bitch about manifesting your soulmate. And it was very much similar tactics to manifesting money. It really is the same stuff. And so I was like, I was like, oh, people need to hear this because so many of my audience are looking to manifest their soulmate. Yeah. So I, um, you know, got it. I wrote it, got it edited. I got a cover for it, all of those things. And then I just went, huh, this isn't what I'm supposed to do. Um, there's lots of people who can teach this. And I, I just let that one go. And actually I've, I've pondered about a couple of things in my business now, and I'll be really honest about this. So, you know, I created my app. I'm not going to kill my app, even though I really want to, because I'm like, I don't even use my app. Um, It's a money tracking app. And people are like, don't, please don't let it go, Denise. And I'm like, okay, I'll keep it for another year. Um, I'm also considering letting go of my manifesting course, which is a great course. It sells well. But again, I'm starting to think, well, a lot of people are teaching manifesting. You know, maybe I'll let that go um, to streamline my business a little bit. So there's a couple of things like that where I feel totally fine in, in letting things go. That's interesting that you're looking at letting things go that uh, are actually making you money and ticking along nicely. And it's good to hear that, you know, it's kind of okay to make that decision. Things haven't got to be terrible to say no. If they don't feel like they're sitting right in your business or you don't get any joy from them anymore, then bye-bye and move on to the next thing. Well, I think in the early days I really tried to be everything to everyone. And my very first website had six different tabs on it of all the things I wrote about. And it was literally like goals and success, health and weight loss, uh, love and blah, 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 career. And so I was trying to solve every problem of everyone's life. And yeah. some of that too is I grew up on Oprah and Oprah had a different show every week on different topics. Yes. So I was like, well, I have to be the Oprah and I have to be the, the catalyst for everyone's dreams. And realizing now it's okay just to focus on one thing. And even I can think of my website and you know, I've got so many different articles on there, how to get out of debt and how to do this and how to manage your email. And I actually want to declutter most of those. So it's just like, okay, here are the things I can help you with money blocks, pricing and business mindset. Yeah. That's it. Or maybe passive income. I'd add that on there too, but like everything else, 
that's okay. Go to someone else. That's fine. Um, and that feels so good doing that. I love that because I did exactly the same. I've got two businesses in my first business. I was jack of all trades, master of none. I literally was trying to coach everyone on everything, come out with a bunch of skills and go, oh, I can help you with stopping smoking, losing weight, changing careers, <laughs> setting up your business. I'm, oh my God, the tabs. It was hilarious. It's really making me smile what you said. And then the relief of going, I found that niche. I found that thing that I love doing and I've not got to be all of these things to everyone. And the power that has in your marketing is huge. So again, I love your honesty. And this is what, you know, our our listeners and busy businesswomen is all about. The fact that you didn't start off doing this perfectly successful as you are now. It's evolved over time. And then we get to talk. You know what that is though? It's, it's giving up part of your identity of being the go-to girl. Mm. That was hard for me because I thought, no, I have to be the one to solve people's problems because my family still treat me as the go-to girl. My mum treats me like Siri. You know, she's like, hey, Denise, what's this? What do I do about this? Because she hasn't quite figured out Google. But <laughs> you can't let your clients treat you like Siri. Um, and it's, but it is part of our identity and it can be hard for people like us, women like us, to say, actually, I don't know because we know we can find the answer out. And it, it hurts to say, Actually, I don't know. Good luck with that. But when you do it so liberating, it's just like, I don't know. And I say to you on the tour, when people ask questions, I'll say, look, I'll answer questions about anything, but don't ask me questions about webinar software or, you know, things like that. It's like, I can answer you and I'll get really animated about it, but it's not, Mm. that's not the best use of our time here. Yeah. I love that. I think you need to have some quote, you know, an Instagram post or Facebook of, you know, don't let your, your clients treat you like Siri. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about networking. Um, I talk about putting yourself in the position that you're the dumbest in the room, right? And how I think it's important to spend time with people who lift you up, challenge you, keep you on your toes so that you don't fall into the trap of being in your comfort zone and just spending time with people that it don't elevate your thinking or ideas. Is that something that is important to you? And I'm keen to know what you do from a networking point of view, particularly as you talk about very openly, you're an introvert. Networking in its kind of rawest form is probably not something that sparks much joy in your life. It's not. And, you know, you're a connector. That's in your top yeah. three of your archetypes. For me, connector is um, the lowest, second lowest Um, celebrity is my lowest, I think. Um, So for me, I do struggle with that idea of networking. There's a couple of things that I do. Uh, I go to a conference and I am always the first up to ask a question at the microphone because then I feel like I've introduced myself to the whole room and then I don't have to talk to anyone for the rest of the conference. Um, Yeah. So I'm like, hi, my name is Denise Duffield-Thomas from luggybitch.com and, um, or, you know, author of Jill and then ask my question, doesn't matter what I ask. And then I'm like, great, now I can relax and sit down. Um, yeah. Yes. And then people will come up to you. Oh, I loved the question that you asked. Or, oh, I, oh, I saw the blah, blah, blah. So that's my, um, that's my networking thing. The other thing of it is, you know, I've got young kids. I don't travel a lot. I actually do a ton of my networking online and mm. I'm in groups. I'm always very helpful in, in groups. I don't post a lot necessarily in business groups, but I, I'm always the one there even if it's just cheerleading, way to go, well done. And that seems to be a really great um, way to connect with people. I think I've, I feel like I've got some really close friends that I've met on Facebook and we've never met in real life. 
Same here, isn't it? Like it's weird but so nice as well that you can meet people, you know, which are logistically all over the world and you can have this connection. You feel like if you walked into a bar or a restaurant or a cafe or something with them today, you'd just really know them and it wouldn't matter that you'd never physically met before. I love that. Yes, exactly. Now, that, that leads me very nicely onto actually being you. One of my wonderful clients, Penny from Vino Penny, who loves a good wine, hence her business, she commented um, and said that you seem very comfortable in your own skin. Now, the ethos behind Busy Business Women is being raw and real and something that, you know, I really think you've nailed. As a client of yours, I truly believe that what I um, what I see is exactly how you are and I love that about you and that's why I've bought your stuff and done your stuff and will continue to. Have you always, and her question was, have you always been that comfortable with who you are and what you do, or is it something that you've had to work on? Um, I'd love to know if you've got any tips for women who want to be more authentic. And I kind of cringe a bit at that word because it's so overused. We like to, in Busy Business Women, we use the word ugly. Um, it's, I don't know if you've read Blue Fishing by Steve Sims. It's an awesome book. And he references, you know, authenticity is a bit overused, but ugly is about just being true to who you are and real. So same thing, right, different word. But it talks about being exactly who you are you know, is that something that you've always felt comfortable with or is and no, you honed that over time? I don't think I felt comfortable. I think I was very uncomfortable in my skin in my 20s, um, very self-conscious about everything, um, particularly around my voice. And I actually would get very nervous doing things like um, ordering at a restaurant. You know, I would really? say, yes, it, would, it was very strange. Like, or say you go to McDonald's, I'd stand in the queue and I'd be, like mentally rehearsing what I was going to say. And um, so I was always very self-conscious about just being who I was. I think the thing that really, really helped me was a, a, a practice of self-love and acceptance. And I first came across that concept in Louise Hay's books, You Can Heal okay. Your Life. For me, that was life-changing and game-changing. And that's really the only personal development work I do these days is just self-love and self-acceptance because when you don't like yourself at a very deep level, um, you do try and be everything to everyone. You, you do try and mould yourself to please other people. Mm. And because now I just really focus on that self-love and acceptance, I don't have holes that need to be filled by other people's expectations or validation. Um, I'm, I just, I kind of like myself and that doesn't mean that I love every part of myself, you know, like I'm still, I judge my mum, Tom and, um, you know, I, I judge my arms sometimes and things like that, but I really, I, and I really want to role model that for, for our kids that yeah. I do like and accept myself, um, at all weights, at all ages. I don't, um, for example, I don't Photoshop, um, or use Facetune on social media. Um, I, I use filters sometimes, but I just, I look at it sometimes and I go, oh, I actually just like the, the me. I prefer that. So yeah. yeah. And, and I, and what I've noticed though, that, that, that is attractive to people when you like yourself, mm. um, because they, they like you as well, but they don't feel like you need their validation. And that's a really great distinction. I really, really love that. And I think, you know, that's been a kind of bit of an awakening for me over the recent years and where the whole kind of feel real and raw and, you know, happily come onto a Facebook live with, 
you know, my hair looks like I've got out of bed at the best of times. <laughs> and, you know, the dog's just been having a dream on this podcast. I don't know if you could hear the noise. And just, you know, as a mum in business working from home, things don't always go right. And just embracing that and not worrying that your clients see it because some people are going to not like it and that's fine. You don't need them to follow you. You don't need them to be in your community. But there are also going to be people that that really connects with. And that's how I feel about, you know, if I look at your Instagram, it's not all of these carefully curated pictures that I don't believe. It is you laying there in bed with your husband and kids and all, you know, in your glory. And, um, well, not in your glory. It's like you're not like you're naked. <laughs> just, <laughs> just want to clear that up for everyone. Everyone jumps to your Instagram mentally. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I feel like we get a real, really good look at what your life is like instead of it being through filters. So thank you for that. Okay, and I'm very conscious of your time. This is one thing I want to ask you because I ask everybody that comes on this podcast, is there a quote or mantra that's really inspired you over the years in your business that you can share with us and what impact that's had on you? I do, and I've got a prop for this too. Oh, I love it. Yes, I serve, I deserve. Oh, nice. Yes, I serve, I deserve. So my friend Leonie Dawson painted this for me. Um, But it's it's really, um, it's a great one when you're feeling like you're not enough. Mm-hmm. Or you feeling like you're charging too much, or you feel like you just you're not helping the world enough, or you don't feel you know all of those things, um, and you feel guilty about receiving in return. So there's it's just a beautiful cycle, you know. I serve, I deserve, I I give and I receive, and you need both. Otherwise, you get burnt out and resentful and all that kind of stuff. So I love the fact that I keep this on my desk to remind mm-hmm. me whenever I get into a, oh no, I need to do this. I need to do this. And I'm like, oh no, I serve, I deserve. And that means time off or, you know, abundance and all of those things in return. I'm totally going to stick that on a post-it note. It won't look as pretty as that, but I no, need to beautiful. remind myself of that. I'm sure lots of my clients do too. Thank you. Okay. Now I am absolutely sure that our listeners would like to hear a lot more about Chilpreneur, Money Mindset, Denise DT goodness in their life. Uh, where is the best place to find you? Where can people hang out with you? How can we lap up all of your goodness? So my website's denisedt.com, denisedt.com. That's my Instagram handle at denisedt, same on Twitter, same on Facebook, um, everywhere. Uh, I hang out on Instagram a lot these days. Instagram's, yeah, I think since I had um, babies and I have to do so much work on my phone rather than my desktop, um, Instagram is just, yeah, is, is great. So what I ask people to do, and this is really, really key, take a screenshot of the podcast artwork Mm-hmm. Um, and tag myself and Faye and let us know an aha or an action that you're going to take from listening to us because it's all well and good to listen to stuff and just let it fly fly by. But, you know, sometimes you just need to have an action and also the accountability of just, of just you know, sh- sharing it with us and tag us, tag us in that post. Totally. I I really agree with you because I think we can get into the trap of absorbing so much information, but then what do we actually do with it? And it's such a shame if it's just, you know, gathering dust or just flying out the other ear. So do that, ladies, please. Um, Jump onto Instagram or Facebook, tag us and let us know what you've loved about today. And if you, we're going to have all of Denise's goodness over on the podcast show notes as well. So just go to busybusinesswomen.biz forward slash podcast 31 and there will be links to all of Denise's books the very fabulous Chilpreneur her book tour that's coming up come and join us if you're down my neck of the woods in Wollongong and Shell Harbour I'd love to see you there and um, have our little local posse but for wherever you're listening to go to the book tour it's all and New Zealand as well it's not just Australia oh you're over in NZ as well Auckland 
Auckland and Perth are our biggest um, events thus far. Wow, amazing. Yes, and Central Coast and Wollongong are our smallest ones, but that's okay. Um, I'm going to give a lot of joy and love to you guys there, but please spread the word because, you know, I think if you want people to come to your town, you've got to show up and support them. Completely and utterly. And as I said, I'm thrilled that you're making it easy for us. So I'm going to be pimping you out like a hoe. Is that even a nice phrase? I love it. Thank (laughs) you. I so appreciate that. It's going to be fun. Okay. Well, look, I can't say thank you enough. I've absolutely loved doing this. It's been a complete career highlight for me in the world of busy business women so thank you so much for being with me today anything you want to leave us with before we close up for today um no just that you know what it doesn't have to be hard money can Mm. be easy business can be easier um I know I I say it's not effort none it's effortless just effort a little bit less very meditative listening to you just say that (laughs) do you think I go from high energy crazy woman to calm listening Just to you. effort a little bit less yes, I like and very much. it's okay it'll all be fine pat, I just want to pat people on the head it's going to be fine yeah. all is well you're doing great sweetie that's all you need to know I love it you're doing great sweetie thank you you've ended this beautifully calmly with so many golden nuggets I really appreciate your time Denise thank you best of luck with the book tour I'm looking forward to seeing you next week see you soon bye And ladies, if you've enjoyed this episode, I would love you to leave Denise and I a review on iTunes, please, and let us know what you've loved. And if you'd like to hang out some more, just head on over to Facebook and Instagram. I'm at Busy Business Women, and you can find lots of biz building goodness over on my website, busybusinesswomen.biz. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really appreciate it. I love hanging out with you. And Denise, I will be back next week with more inspiration to help you build a business that blooms. But until then, I'm Faye Holland, and you've been listening to the Busy Business Women podcast. Bye-bye.